Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. Um, so before I get into the message, I, I've got something I want you to help me with. As an Englishman, I recognize that most people in the room today are Spanish fans. Um, it, it's a weird thing coming north of the border to realize that Scots don't support England when they're in really big football matches. Uh, but it's a reality I recognize. So I'm not going to get to watch the England-Spain game until this evening. So what I don't need from anybody is either cheering or jeering at any point during the service. Mind you, that, you, that might be about my preaching, actually, now I think about it. Um, um, after the service, don't, don't come up to me. Don't this afternoon send me any text messages, WhatsApp messages, Absolutely nothing. I've got all sorts of security protocols going on at our house this afternoon so that I can watch the game as if I was watching it live. So there we go. Is that okay? You can help me in that, okay? I know. Somebody warned me. They said, you can't trust this bunch. There'll be somebody in there that just decides to do it anyway. I'll, they'll, they'll, there's, there's a few rascals in this church, so I'll be keeping my eyes and ears open. Anyway, there we go. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, Psalm 73. I don't know if we've got that on the screen uh, just yet. Whether it's me. Yes, it's me. There we go. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 73. Uh, the title this morning is Watch Where You're Going. And uh, just to say, I guess, um, a number of us got to choose which psalms, and this was the psalm that I went with. And uh, I went with it because it has a sort of little bit of a connection. Well, for me, it's got a bit of a connection to mountaineering, and that's why I really identify with it. And that's about falling over or falling off things. I've had quite a few falls uh, while I've been climbing, so I'll tell you a little bit about those in a few minutes. Anyway, we're on Psalm 73, uh, a psalm of Asaph. So let's just have a look at this. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. Their eyes bulge with fat and they have more than the heart could imagine. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Thus upon the return of his people, the full waters are drained by them. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. They're always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely, in vain, I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I've been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. And if I'd spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. And when I tried to, un I realize I've not skipped that, have I? Or did you skip it for me? Thank you, you're a hero. Um, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. 
Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they're destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. And when you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. We're, we're having a little tussle over this now, aren't we? Thank you. When my, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet... I am always with you, and you hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you'll take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. And you destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. Watch where you're going. As any, I'm guessing, stick your hand up if anybody's ever said that to you at any point in your life. Watch where you're going, okay? Look at that, all of us, at some point or another. My dad always, was always saying it to me as a kid because I wasn't ever watching what I was doing, tripping up, falling over, all sorts of things. Um, so it, it is the sort of phrase that I think is really important when we think about our lives as Christians as well. And I guess it comes in here in the psalm that we're going to think about this morning. One of the things about the psalms, by the way, which maybe we've just not clicked, is Besides being songs and poems, they're also models of spiritual reflection. And, and the psalm that we've got today is a real example of a, a believer who's thinking deeply and reflecting on what's going on for him. And we'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. But I think it's really important for all of us to think and reflect about our spiritual lives Sometimes we just turn up and we go through every week and we come and sing the songs, we sit back down, we listen to the message, and things can easily sort of bounce off us. And we're not thinking all the time deeply and reflecting on where we're at with God or where we're at with our brothers and sisters. So one of the things that's really going on here for Asaph, whose psalm this is, is that he is reflecting, but he's also sharing what's going on in his inner life. Um, one of the things I think about watching where you're going, which is really important, which I think in a way this psalm also tells us, is if you turn the words around, uh, the lesson is, why should you watch where you're going? Because very often you end up go, going where you're watching. Uh, and if we think about that with some of the sinful things that we can do with our lives, and we think about the things that we end up watching with our eyes, imagine that that's where you ended up. And that rubbish, that gunk, is going to end up in hell. It's going to be burned up and destroyed. And that's not where we want to go. So go where you're watching. And so it's really important what we do with our eyes, what we're looking at. Now, the psalm this morning that we're looking at is by Asaph. Now, I think about 12 of the psalms are by Asaph. And you might not know much about him. I didn't. But he lived roughly a 1,000 years ago at the time of David and the time of Solomon. And he had been selected by David 
uh, David the king had appointed some chief singers and musicians. And the, the chief singer musician was a guy called, well, it, it reads like He-Man. I don't know if anybody remembers He-Man and the Masters of the Universe and all that stuff. Uh, anyway, the, the chief guy was He-Man or Heman, and Asaph was one of his assistants. And I don't know if any of you got to see, do you watch The Chosen at all? The, t the series that's on TV about Jesus? Some of you have got to see it. The latest series has an episode that starts with Asaph uh, singing a psalm that he has just written and singing it before King David. So if you can get to have a watch of The Chosen, it's really interesting. And uh, there's an example there. And Asaph went on to be the, the, the leader of a guild of singers and musicians. And then when Solomon became king and the temple was built, then uh, Asaph get, got to sing at the opening of the temple. So all of that was, was going on. So we're going to think a little bit more deeply about all of this. And uh, let me just see if we can get that going. Right. So we're going to ask three things this morning. We're going to ask, what's the problem? What are you looking at? And what are you anchored to? So I think the first thing is, let's just think about the problem. And it says in verse 1 this. It says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now that's a great start for a lovely, positive, uplifting song. Imagine Asaph's just brought this before the king, and that's his first line. And the king's going, yeah, that's great, super. God is good. Everything's going well. You know, we're pure in heart. We're going on right with God. But very, very quickly, Asaph sort of drops off the edge because these are the next words in verse 2. He says, but as for me, he said, God's great, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped and I had nearly lost my foothold. Now, has anybody here ever tripped over, uh, caught your feet, fallen over? Just give us a wave if you've ever fallen over. Some of you have got all this way through life without falling over. That's amazing. That's incredible. You ever have those situations? I remember being on holiday with Tricia down in Oxford. And, um, you know, some of the older cities have got paving stones that don't quite align. And you, you're walking along and your foot catches one of those paving stones. And you, and you sort of go like this. And uh, this particular one... I don't know whether, I'm a bit vain. I didn't like the idea that I, I sort of tripped over something. So you sort of trip like this, and, and you've got two choices at this point. You either turn around and stare at the ground, as if like, my goodness me, how dare anything trip me up, or you do what I did, which is pretend that you'd just done it deliberately. Has anybody ever done that? Yeah? You, you have a little bit of a skip, so you do two steps, and you just decide to do another skip. And make it look like that. And Trish is there going, Jeff, what are you doing? What, what's, what's going on? It's all right. No, I'm, I'm just happy to be here. You know, just happy to be here. Um, what, I, what I think is really interesting here is that it, 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 it doesn't say he fell. He says he'd almost slipped. That he'd nearly lost his foothold. And, and I, I said before about mountaineering. I used to do a lot of rock climbing. Um, uh, and ice climbing in Scotland. And for me, as soon as I read those words, I'm really in a situation where, you know, if you imagine some big drop and where you stumble and you're near the edge and uh, just how scary uh, that can be, just how scary that can feel. So you're walking along, everything's great, 
and then suddenly there is that jolt and scare. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Um, I was on the Isle of Skye a number of years ago doing the Cooling Ridge, which is Britain's biggest single mountaineering expedition. It's colossal. You have to use ropes and uh, helmets and all sorts on certain sections of it. And there's a part of it called the Collies Ledge, which is about three feet. What, has ever, anybody ever been on the Cooling Ridge at all? So great stuff. Uh, there's a section called the Collies Ridge, and it's about three feet wide with a 500-foot drop right next to you. And on the right-hand side, it's just vertical cliffs, so you have nowhere to go. You're just walking along the edge of this cliff, this colossal drop. And, and I was just completely preoccupied with the drop. I mean, you might think that's a crazy thing to do, but that's, I was just like, whoa, you know, and, and walking along this bit, and I didn't spot a rock in front of me that was on the, the sort of path that was there, and, and then I sort of caught my ankle on the, and, and jarred, and uh, my mate was behind me, and he grabbed the back of my, my jacket and just gave me a yank backwards. But, you know, there's that moment where you almost go, and your heart just leaps. Oh, that's a horrible feeling. When you, know, when you know you almost lost it. And that's what the psalm writer's at here. He's in that point and he's saying, I just almost lost it. There is that jolt. Uh, Kev, Kev mentioned films. I'll throw a film in for you. Uh, a wonderful film called Inception by Christopher Nolan. I don't know if anybody here has watched it. It's about breaking into people's dreams, into their minds to steal ideas. Anyway, it's a really interesting thing. But they use the jolt the jolt of falling as a way of waking themselves up where they're evading. So anyway, throw that in. Have a good watch. It's an excellent movie. Um, so it might even be that the only time you've ever experienced that is when you're dreaming. Has anybody here ever fallen in their dreams and then woken up all of a sudden with that, <gasps> oh my goodness. So you know the feeling. So Asaph is saying, that's what happened to me. That's what happened to me. I had nearly lost my foothold. Now, let me just point something out that's really interesting here. This is Asaph, one of the king's lead worship leaders. And instead of a song that is worshiping God, he's giving us a song of testimony. And he's putting this out there for the royal court and for the people of God to hear. And, and he's saying, this is what was going on inside of me. So Asaph is, is using a song to reflect deeply about his inner life, and he's being really, really honest with the people around him. Now, I think that's an amazing thing to do, you know, to, to open up the world of his own life to that jolt, to an edge of death experience, or in terms of that's how it felt. So the problem here is the slip, the foothold, nearly going. He's almost lost it. So let's ask a little bit more uh, really about what was going on. And yes, I mentioned the point before that this isn't really about a falling. This is about stumbling. This is about the nearly losing it. So the second question I want to just ask is what are you looking at? Because in verse 3, Asaph explains what was going on for him. The thing about him nearly losing his foothold, the thing about him nearly falling is this. He said, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So what's going on for Asaph here is that this is a seeing thing. 
He said, my eyes had been preoccupied with other people and what was going on in their lives. Now, let me just say for a moment, when I was reading the psalm, and you, you read it about the wicked, and he describes all of these things, it's just dead easy in a modern context to think of this as he's looking at non-Christians. You know, he's looking at people out there. Now, Asaph is here in Jerusalem. He's at the heart of Israel and the people of God. He's actually looking at the lives of some of the people of God who are, who are just living lives that are completely unacceptable before God. And he's getting distracted by them and disillusioned by what he sees. But what's really interesting is that the honesty, he says, because when I saw this, I envied them. Now, oh my goodness, imagine that. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you've looked in your life at times and thought, do you know what? It doesn't feel like there's a massive benefit to me being a Christian. I'm looking at other people who don't seem to be struggling. They're buying nice big cars, nice big houses, living a comfortable life, and I'm really, really struggling. It's easy to end up thinking like that. And so Asaph is just really open. He's really honest. He says, that's what I'm struggling with. Seeing is a really important part of the Christian faith, what we are looking at. And there are all sorts of responses that we can have when we look around at the people of God or we look around the world in which we live. The prophet Jeremiah said this, and he was known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah said this, he said, what I see with my eyes brings grief to my heart. Brings grief to my heart. Grief is one of the reactions we can have when we look around us at how people are living. But for Asaph, Asaph wasn't nearly as noble as that at this particular point. He's been really vulnerable and he's saying, actually, I, got, I was actually envying them. I, I wasn't full of grief. I was jealous. Why haven't I got that comfortable life? Why, why haven't I got that level of prosperity? Why am I struggling you, you know, with sickness? So Asaph then goes on in the following verses and he lists all these things. He says they've got no struggles. They're healthy, they're strong, they're free from burdens. They're not plagued by illnesses, they're carefree, they're amassing wealth. Pride, violence, greed, malice, arrogance, oppression, and they brag against God. And then, and then there's this. This is a wonderful, wonderfully horrible description of people. Their eyes bulge with fat and they have more than they could imagine. Do you know what I mean? You know, imagine Ian standing up and talking about one of you this morning, saying, oh, you know, there's, there's John, his eyes bulging with fat again, you know. Well, it's not a very gracious, kind description. But he's really just trying to give us a picture of the sort of level of greed that was going on. So at the minute... Asaph's looking out, and he's, he, all the places he's looking are out there. He's looking at other people. That's where his eyes are. But what's the slipping point here? Well, this slipping point comes when he asks himself a question. So again, when we're talking about spiritual reflection, I'm asking you this this morning. Are you questioning yourself when you're reading the Scriptures? Or do you just sort of take the word in and let it bounce off you? Asaph is questioning. And he's asking questions inside. And he, and he lets us know what those are. He says in verse 13, he says, Surely in vain 
I've kept my heart pure. I've washed my hands in innocence all day long. I've been afflicted. Every morning, it says it brings new punishments. It says, if I'd spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. Now, what's interesting here is we're at a point where, where Asaph has written this song after the experience is over. So he's looking back. But he's now being honest and he's telling us what was going on inside. And what he says is, if I if I'd hadn't kept quiet back then and I'd let all this stuff out, I'd have just damaged you all. I, I really would. You know, it I would not have been good if I'd just come out and said all this. So he's reminding us that he's telling us from a point of recovery now and he's looking back at it. It's testimony. That's what's going on. And the slipping point comes on because he says he doesn't understand. Verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. And I don't know whether that's where you're at this morning. Let me say to you, it is a completely biblical thing to be wrestling with stuff, to be struggling with stuff, to be troubled by things. It is a sign that God is engaging within us. It's really what we do with that. So notice here that Asaph started off by looking at everybody else, and that was just doing him all of this turmoil. And at that point, at that point, he starts to reflect inwardly about his own life and about his own heart and about his own struggles. And that is something that is really important for us to do. When we are captivated by the lives of others, by the behavior of other Christians, it's really, really important because God wants to turn our hearts towards him and he wants us to examine our own lives and see where we are at in all of this. Um, I guess one of the things that's really going on here is a recognition that preoccupation with the spiritual lives of other people can be dangerous. It can be a real trap and it can be a real distraction. And when we travel forward right to the end of John's gospel, it's really interesting. It's sort of slightly related theme here. And uh, you perhaps remember after Peter had betrayed Jesus, after Jesus' resurrection, Peter and Jesus have a walk on the shores of Galilee. And in the background, the beloved disciple, who we, we think is John, was just sort of wandering around maybe about 20, 30 feet behind them. And Peter turns to Jesus and he, he starts to ask Jesus about John. He saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? So, Lord, you're, having, you know, you're talking to me about all of the stuff you know, where I've blown it, you know, where I sort of fell apart. But what, what about him? What are you going to do with him? And Jesus answers, if I wanted him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? What is that to you? You... You, keep your eyes on me and follow me. Now, I just want you to imagine this morning that if there's anything that Jesus wants to say to us, it is this. What is all of that to you? What I want is for you to follow me. Let us not be distracted by others, either out there in the world or in the life of the church, so much that we end up nearly stumbling and falling. Let us keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. Really, really important. So the next thing I want to just ask is, what are you anchored to? Now, I mentioned before just about my mountaineering sort of background, so I've chosen an image here. 
And has anybody here ever been abseiling? Ever, anybody ever slid off a, a rock face or a building uh, using one of these ropes? Of course, one of the really important things is what you are connected to. Uh, that's massively, massively important. So what's really interesting here is when we, when we see what's going on for Asaph, what is the turning point? So in verse 16, it said, he says, I, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until, I love that, until. In other words, there's a turning point. When we are struggling, when we're wrestling with God, when our inner world is, ter- is, is in turmoil, there is an until. There is a point at which things shift and what, that turn around. So in this testimony from Asaph, what is the turning point? It is this, verse 17, until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood. Then I understood. In other words, it was the presence of God in the sanctuary of God. Now, uh, there's an interesting parallel verse in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And in uh, the writers of Hebrews says this. He says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters into the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Now, both Asaph and Jesus, uh, when they are, and the writers of the Hebrews rather, when they are writing, they're thinking uh, about the, the Jewish temple. I mean, this was actually the tabernacle here, uh, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's throne rested upon the earth. Asaph lived in this period where the tabernacle was there during King David's reign, and then it was replaced by the temple. Both of them were the sanctuary of God, the place where God was pictured to live and dwell among his people. And Asaph said, it was when I went there, it was when I entered the presence of God that, I, that, that really how I saw everything completely shifted. So when our eyes are distracted, when our hearts are troubled by stuff that we see going on around us, the thing that anchors us back again is living and being in the presence of God. And the writer of the Hebrews uses that word, anchor. The the actual Greek word is exactly the same, anchor. And it's what keeps a a ship, particularly in a storm, from, from getting tossed around and blown onto the rocks. It's what keeps it firm and secure. Now, in a climbing world... Uh, when you're rock climbing and when you're abseiling, you use an anchor point too. That's known as a belay. And um, a number of years ago, I had an accident when I was ice climbing. Uh, in the Lake District, I was climbing a 300-foot uh, ice climb, and a big blizzard came in. We were climbing up a gully and then uh, up a big cliff face to the side of it. And in the middle of this blizzard, we decided uh, the weather was so bad we needed to get out of it. So we set up a belay point, an anchor point on the cliff to abseil down. And uh, my friend abseiled down first, and I did not trust the anchor point, so I changed it. I shifted it around a little bit, connected myself, and then I leant back. Now, if any of you have ever done abseiling, you'll know that the scary bit is trusting the rope at that very point where you lean back. And when I leant back, there was nothing. And I'd set the belay up wrong completely, and the rope just shot away, and I fell backwards. I actually ended up falling 60 feet, 
Um, I landed on my back, um, uh, upside down in actual fact. My head missed the cliff face, and the top of my rucksack hit the ledge uh, about 60 feet below. I got whiplash injuries and bruised knees and knuckles from bouncing off the cliff face. And um, so I was relatively speaking okay. My friend who was with me thought I was dead, which tells you how hard I hit the deck. But this huge packed rucksack I had on acted like a big uh, cushion uh, and and saved me. Uh, When he got me back on my feet, he realized that I'd left my two ice axes up the cliff face. They were still stuck in there. And so I had to borrow my mate's ice axes, climb the cliff face in the storm, get my axes, and then redo the abseil correctly this time and lean back off the edge. Talk about getting back on the horse. It was one of those situations. Um, So we're talking about anchors here. What keeps us firm and solid? What is it that protects us? Who is the person that yanks us back from the edge when we nearly stumble, when we almost lose our foothold? The writer of the Hebrews tells us it is Jesus. Jesus, who is the one who has gone right into the heart of the sanctuary, behind the curtains of the Holy of Holies, he's right there. He says, when we come into the presence of God, it is then that perspective is restored. And there is certainty in the sanctuary. Now, what's really interesting is what happens in verse 18. Verse 18, he says, so don't forget, he started off by saying, I'd almost lost my foothold. I'd almost stumbled. He then says this in verse 18 about the people who he's he's been preoccupied looking at. He says, surely, God, you are the one that places them on the slippery ground. In other words, Asaph just his view turns right around and he, and he goes, wow, Lord, thank you for pulling me back from the edge here. Now I can see it's not me that's on the slippery slope. It's those other people. They are in great peril. Such is the perspective of change that Asaph has got. He says, you've placed them on slippery ground. You will cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they're destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. And there's a lot of colorful language here that Asaph uses just to describe the destiny of those who do not live for God. And then we come to a really intimate moment in verse 21. He says this, and uh, Ian read this. He says, and you can almost imagine him just quietly saying in the middle of this, do you know what? When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, he says, I was senseless and ignorant. Actually, I was like a brute beast before you. Now, in a modern context, let's just see this. This is a believer saying how he was. He says, my heart was, because my heart was grieved, my spirit embittered, I I behaved in a way that was senseless and ignorant, and I was a brute beast. Let me tell you, that is a powerful confession from one of the kingdom's chief worship leaders. For him to be so honest that he's able to tell you how bad it got in his own heart in terms of his relationship to others and, and his relationship to God. Let me tell you, folks, we are not all, we're not all sorted. We've not got it all right. We're not perfect. Do you know what? There are experiences we go through that will touch on painful points in our lives and cause dramatic reactions within us, just like Asaph. 
And we will wrestle before God and we will struggle before God with those things. And it is only the presence of God, it is only the wonderful love of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit that draws us out of the poison of some of those experiences. Asaph is able to say, that's how bad it got. But what I really love it here is, is that Asaph, by talking this out, by sharing this out, he moves from reflecting on it to realizing things. In other words, to, I mean, rea- the word realizing is a really great word. It's, a, it's when we see things differently, we realize them. He says, and this is verse 23 onwards, he, he just comes out with a whole pile of stuff. He says, yet, I'm always with you, presence. You hold me by my right hand, security. You guide me with your counsel, guidance. And you'll take me into glory, salvation. Presence, security, guidance, and salvation. Aren't those wonderful things? Aren't those beautiful things that Jesus does in our lives? And he rediscovered, he realized that he had all of those amazing things as he was coming out the far end of the turmoil of this experience. And then he goes in, he says, Lord, who have I in heaven but you? And I love this bit, because he started off envying everybody else and all of the riches and the things they've got. He says this, verse 21, earth has nothing that I desire beside you. (laughs) Yes. Isn't that beautiful? Do you know, folks, our hearts should, should be going through shifts and changes like that. Now, they go through shifts and changes like that because we are willing to take those sinful attitudes and desires to God, to be honest about them, to wrestle through with them, and to allow the Holy Spirit of Jesus to deal with them and bring us out the far side into presence and security and to guidance and to salvation. All of those wonderful fruit. If you think being a Christian is easy, you are doing it wrong. All right? There is tough stuff going on. And if you've been going through tough stuff, give it to Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit work this thing out in you because he will bring beautiful, wonderful, amazing things. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail. Do you know what? I might, I might die, he says. But God's the strength in my heart and my portion forever. And as for me, I just love this. I've got goosebumps. Do you know what? As for me, it's just good to be near God. I mean, what a contented, beautiful, wonderful attitude is that? All right, let me, let me just ask you for a moment. Just still your heart. Just close your eyes. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to, to say the words, but as for me, it is good to be near God. But what I want you to do before I say that is, I want you to close your eyes and say it inwardly, okay? So just take a moment, close your eyes, and inwardly just, just say, as for me, it is good to be near God. And now let's just say those words together. But as for me, it is good to be near God. Wow. Wow. What a wonderful, awesome God we have who draws us and calls us 
and sticks with us through the highs and the lows, through absolutely everything. So what are you, what are you anchored to? What are your eyes looking at? Well, ultimately for all of us, it's about Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 says this. And so let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. When you fix your eyes on him, he will perfect your faith. But it might be uncomfortable, but it will be beautiful. And then I understood, says Asaph. Let's close our eyes and pray as the worship team come back forward. Thank you, folks. Let's pray. Father God, we want to say thank you for this season where we have been just looking through the hymn book of the Bible, through the Psalms, and, and just so many diverse experiences and ways of relating and processing stuff. Lord, th this morning, we, having heard this message, we just want to say to you, Lord, we, we, do, we love you and we want to walk with you, but, but a lot of us are carrying some junk with us. Some of it's junk from our past, which, Lord, we've not really dealt with yet. Lord, some of it's junk from this week that we've just picked up along the way because we took our eyes off you. Lord, this morning, we will turn our eyes towards Jesus. We will fix our eyes on him because, Lord Jesus, you're the author. You're the beginner. You're the creator of our faith, and you are also the one who will perfect it. Lord, we come to you as open books. We want to be as honest and open, as real as you as we can, with you as we can. Lord, let our lives just be full of your wonderful, beautiful presence. And come and do a wonderful, awesome, beautiful thing in your church, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Good stuff, folks. Bless you.